all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fawson. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or by going to veteransradio.net where we're on the web 24-7. You can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.net. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at legalhelpforveterans.com. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today Chief Master Sergeant Tim Horvath, retired. Tim, welcome to Veterans Radio. Hi, Jim. How are you? Thanks for having me. Well, we're glad to have you on. You've got uh, an incredible service record that we want to talk about. But then we want to shift over to men's health issues, which um, you have a couple of angles you can come at this from uh, based on your training in the in the uh, service, in the medical field. And, and actually now you're on an accelerated nursing school program. So, uh, Anna, you have personal experiences we want to talk about. But you spent 32 years in the service. Uh, after high school, you gr- you started with the uh, uh, Army, I believe it was, and uh, then moved your way into Army National Guard and Air Force uh, Air National Guard. Tell us a little bit about your progression through the military. Oh, let's see if I can get that out there for you. I, uh, I joined the uh, United States United States Army. Uh, uh, went in the day after I graduated high school. Um, I went in as a, a medic. Um, I served at Fort Bragg uh, from 1987 to 1990. Uh, I worked at Wilmette Army Medical Hospital there. It was before it became a cl- uh, medical center. Um, worked all areas of the hospital. Had a great career. Got off active duty. Decided to go right into the Army, uh, the Michigan Army National Guard as a medic. Um, did that for two years out of the Light Guard Armory with the first of the 225th. Then I, um, through BRAC, I went out to Selfridge and hooked on with a 191st Medical Squadron, who I believe you might have known the chief nurse back then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I do. <laughs> I, believe she, I believe she was uh, uh, someone you had known. Um, Worked, worked with them until uh, worked as a medic in different avenues out there at Selfridge, um, mostly with the C-130 unit and at the med group there. Um, 2004, I 
became a first sergeant with the uh, 171st Airlift Squadron with the C-130s. Then I went to be the first sergeant in 2009, 2010, with the 127th Civil Engineer Squadron at Selfridge, and did that until 2015, where I was blessed and became the uh, group superintendent is when I made chief master sergeant for the 127th Air Refueling Group at Selfridge. Well, and chief, along the way, you did a number of overseas deployments uh, in uh, 04 and 09 and 11. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, where, where you where you went and what you did. So, um, yep, and in the 90s, we went, you know, Afghan, uh, Afghanistan. We went to Korea a couple of times for some little joint training exercises. 2000, I spent about I don't know, 65 days in Muscat, Oman, out there in the Middle East, kind of. We were doing some short flying missions, supply drops. 2004, I was in Kuwait supporting. Um, flying missions up into Iraq where we would take personnel and supplies. Um, my job was to take care of the air crew and the support personnel, and I was fortunate that I could get on the flights um, as a medic and just fly up country to drop things off and um, fly up and fly back to Ali Asalim. Um, I was there for about 90 days, had a, had a great Great trip there. All my trip, all my deployments were, were great. You know, even the even the bad ones were great. Um, 2009, I was in Turkey doing refueling missions over the Black Sea. Um, and then 2011, we were with the engineer unit. We were uh, in Afghanistan. We worked RC North um, out of uh, Camp Marmol and out of Mazari Sharif. And we did like almost like a wheel and spoke. We that was our main main hub, and sent engineers depending on what was needed all throughout RC North and out to RC West as far as Shindan um, near the Iran border. Um, I just hopped around as a first sergeant, took care of all my people, made sure they were um, taken care of. But and then I did a two week mission to Africa in 2015. It's just it's a support a building project. Well, I, I want people to remember what he just said. His first sergeant, his role was to take care of his people, and we're going to come back around to that because we're our central topic today is is sort of uh, men's health. Uh, Tim has also had a fabulous career in local law enforcement. Uh, we could spend time on that. We could spend time on all these deployments. Uh, we could spend time on why after after all his time he's going to get his uh, his nursing degree. Um, that that's uh, that's a brave step right there. I got to say, Chief. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a good mentor early on. Sir. <laughs> well, it, it, you'll be well served with it, and uh, you'll bring a lot to it. Um, but one of the things that has happened to uh, the chief master sergeant here in retirement is a health condition that uh, nobody would have expected um, that he's willing to talk about. 
And uh, Tim, we really appreciate you being willing to be candid about this and, and talk about the condition that's kind of uh, uh, you're still in the middle of. But uh, why don't you tell our veterans radio listeners what's going on? Oh, uh, first of all, uh, Jim, thank you for giving me the platform. Um, I, I just make sure it's clear. This isn't about Chief Orbath or Tim. This is about my brothers, both military and civilian, being made aware of, uh, um, of male breast cancer. Um, April of this year, we, around April 1st or 2nd, I felt a, I put a backpack on and I felt a strange sensation underneath my nipple. Uh, reached down, I felt a, a very palpable lump. Um, I was like, what is, you know, well, that's odd. Um, I had my amazing fiance come over and she felt it. We kind of both knew right then that, yeah, this is, this is more than just a fatty tumor. This is, this is actually a hard lump. Um, I went to, I haven't had an appointment at the VA like a week later and, you know, right off the bat, my, uh, primary care doctor said, yeah, let's get you in for a mammogram and uh, ultrasound. Um, I gave him that perplexed look like, uh, have you seen this chest? How are you going to get this into a mammogram machine? <laughs> um, and uh, he said, oh, they'll get you in there. Um, the VA in Ann Arbor has been nothing but great. Um, they sent me over to the U of M breast center, um, the Rogo breast center there. And, uh, May 6th, I believe, or roughly somewhere around there. I had my, uh, actually May 3rd, I had my mammogram and ultrasound that the, the radiologist walked in, looked at me and said, uh, you have, uh, invasive ductal carcinoma. She goes, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. And I looked at her and I smiled. Um, I said, uh, I don't expect you to blow smoke anywhere up my fourth party contact. I want it straightforward and so we can put the boxing gloves on and kick this thing to the curb. Um, I mean, for somebody who had been taking care of his troops and, and who comes out of the medical field, you know, had enough medical training, this month of discovering the lump and and then having the mammogram and the diagnosis made, this this had to be like... I have never heard this in my entire career happening to anybody. No, I, I didn't hear of anyone. I immediately got online, you know, did start doing my research. Um, it's when I found out it's less than 1% of all breast cancer patients are um, males. Um, I started looking for studies and research and treatment plans. And to be frank, there's very little out there. For males, uh, um, they just—and this is no offense to the ladies, because you guys are warriors and heroes—they just group us in and and um, throw us under the same treatment plans. Um, one of the statistics that really struck out to me is our mortality rate for males is much higher than females. Yeah. And I had the number in my head, and I lost it. Um, so, so I'll tell you, because I, I looked at the same thing and getting ready to talk with Tim, and Tim's an old family friend. I mean, he and my wife served together. That's what his reference is to, and we've probably known each other for 30 years. Um, 
so when I heard this, I couldn't believe it. And, and about of the 264,000 breast cancer cases a year, only about 2,400 are men, so less than 1%, as Tim uh, mentions. But 22% of the men so diagnosed die from this, according to CDC records. Uh, and women, it's at, at a 16% rate, both way too high. But men, uh, much higher than women, die from breast cancer. And it's probably because men don't get regular uh, exams for this. They probably discover it too late. Um, is that sort of where you're at on this? If they, Boy, I'm lucky I found this because otherwise... Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. I am. I am just so thankful that uh, you know things played out how they did because um, we did catch it early. Um, they um, that. Let me backtrack to what you said. You know, and that's exactly what happens. Is we don't check ourselves. We feel a lump or a pain. What do we do? Rub a little dirt on it. Put a little duct tape on it. <laughs> Tough it out, baby. Yeah. Quit. Quit whining. Yeah. Yeah, grab another beer and get back to work. Um, and we're diagnosis at later stages. We're, we're you know, it's really progressed, and, and that's why our mortality rate. But a lot of the treatment plans aren't that concrete neither, um, I'm finding out. So, but the, the key thing is early intervention. Well, with, with, with such a small number of men uh, getting this in comparison, it's no, you know, it's not surprising that there isn't a standard protocol or treatment plan for for this in the men's health book, right? But but it's important, as you say, to to catch it early. I don't really understand stage one, two, three, and four, but I know four is bad. Um, mm-hmm. So you want to catch it at stage whatever stage one or two really is. Um, and then hope that there's appropriate treatment going forward. And, and from your experience and research, kind of what is the what is the treatment plan? For me, um, you know, they did the mastectomy, which is the same thing they do as a woman. Uh, as a woman, they take take the breast tissue. Um, while they're in there, they'll take some lymph nodes to send a pathology. Um, the hope is invasive ductal cell carcinoma is the most common form of breast cancer. Um, the initial hope was when they, they did the mastectomy on me, um, they, uh, I guess let me re- real quick say, a mastectomy is a complete removal of the breast tissue. Men, we have very little breast tissue. That's why they can't do what's called a lumpectomy like they do in women, where they just find the, find the uh, tumor and can take it out without doing the, the mastectomy. Um, they just do the complete mastectomy for us. Um, for me, they had found it. They took uh, several lymph nodes and they found it um, in the lymph nodes. So the, um, that was kind of a surprise because they weren't expecting to see that. Um, the, um, the uh, I think I'm talking in a circle, so my apologies. Um, so ductal carcinoma is the, the cancer still within the duct. Like the, we have milk ducts like women, they just haven't formed. Invasive is it, it moved outside of the ducts, but it's still in the breast tissue. Um, but for me, it did metastasize to the lymph nodes. But again, it was all microscopic. They felt they got it early. Um, so we did radiation. Uh, I just finished 16 rounds of radiation uh, last Tuesday, actually. 
Um, they started me on uh, what's called tamoxifen because they'll, they'll take the tumor and they send it out for evaluations, um, genetic testing. They do what's called an onco test. That's to give them an idea of, okay, is this how aggressive is this tumor? Is it genetically prone to uh, grow fast, go certain places, things like that? Um, that's how they'll base your, whether you do chemo or just radiation or just prophylactically treat you with uh, uh, medication such as tamoxifen. They also do it to see if it's a estrogen and progesterone gen fed uh, tumor, or you hear things about BRAC2 and the HER2 positive, negative. Those are just types of, I guess, genetics involved with, with the cells. And, there, me, and, and there's no family history here, right? And you talk, you mentioned genetics and makes me think about no. family history, but no. there's such a small number of men that this is um, a problem for. I just have to assume it's really not genetic based. Um, well, it can be. I did do a uh, genetic test for myself because, you know, I have, I have girls, so I got to worry about them. And all, believe it or not, Jamie, all my genetics came back normal. Yeah, no what? mutations in any of my genes. Wow. So I can finally say I have a normal part of me. <laughs> certified normal, right? As, yes, sir. As to <laughs> certified crazies. But, it, but again, yeah. this is what we're trying to do today, veteran radio listeners, mm-hmm. is kind of uh, inform you, but also maybe shake you up a little bit about, I never thought I should be checked. I never thought about this problem or that pain in that area. Uh, could be the, could be cancerous or leading to uh, cancer, so don't be stupid about this. Is what we're trying to say, and mm-hmm. you know, kind of kind of uh, listen to this story because it you know there are going to be two or three thousand men who can relate to this every year, every year, um, and we want our military brothers to be thinking about. Uh, uh, this issue, and as we kind of look at uh, exposures to burn pits and other carcinogenic uh, situations because of the uh, Afghanistan campaign for 20 years, geez, maybe there's going to be some stuff we otherwise didn't think about that, that comes up. And I'm not suggesting that's the cause here. I'm just suggesting be proactive. Well, um, the sooner you catch it, as uh, Chief Master Sergeant says here, the, be- the better off you are. And, uh, you know, if, if you should be checking yourself and certainly being screened if you, if you find something that you weren't expecting to find. Um, Tim, as you go, have gone through this, uh, have you bumped into any other guys who have this situation? Well, you know, as far as, as I'll answer it maybe a little long way, is because we're talking to veterans is the primary audience here. One of the things that shocked me most was not one of the doctors outside of the VA asked me if I were a veteran. They were just kind of running through the course of, you know, cancer, mastectomy. I'm like, oh, what about the cause of what about the cause of this? You know, if it's not genetics, it has to be environmental. You know, my surgeon, who is phenomenal, had only treated ten other cases in her career. Ten other men. My ten other men. Yeah. I'm sorry, yes, 10 other men, which to me is just unbelievable. My 
oncologist has only treated one other man in her 10 or 15 years of cancer treatment. Um, so so with, with the numbers just being small in men or, or men in general, I said, how many of those are veterans? And none of them could give me an answer. Not one of them. Because, because my thing was, just like you said, we just did a 20-year war in Afghanistan. We've basically been at war since 1990 over in the Middle East with, with our, our, you know, uh, service members there. The numbers are going up. Uh, military women, I believe it's a 33% higher rate of breast cancer in them than the civilian population. But no one's really talking about that. No one's really tracking that. Um, so I'm going to take hats off to my doctor, my surgeon at the U of M. She's actually got people looking into that to start tracking numbers so we, we can see if there's a pattern of not just breast cancer, but all cancers coming up with veterans. Um, so when you guys go get checked at your doctors, make sure they know you're a veteran. So if something weird does come off, we can start tracking and finding more nexuses and more um, causes to our cancers, um, not just breast cancer. No, that's a really so, that's a really good point, particularly since so many military men uh, do not get treated at the VA. Uh, uh, something like 75, 76% of veterans only see private doctors. They don't qualify for the for the VA. Your private doctor doesn't know you're a veteran and what your exposures are unless you tell them. And then they can do some research on it. Uh, Rand Corporation did a study on this, uh, looking at whether or not private doctors were ready, if you will, to take on the veteran population. And, and uh, to oversummarize the complicated study, the answer is no, because doctors generally don't have any training. They don't know what the questions to ask. They're no longer in an environment where they themselves have served or she, she has served. So you've got to tell them uh, that's great advice, uh, uh, Tim, for, uh, you know, kind of men's health is make sure you tell your doctor what you've been exposed to. And for a guy who served 30 years and over 30 years and you've been around jet fuel and diesel and solvents and every other crazy chemical uh, <laughs> the Department of Defense <laughs> can come up with, there's way, no way up for you to really know. Let's talk PFAS. Uh, in mm -hmm. the firefighting foams, there's no way for you to know what really the exposure could have been that could have triggered something. We just don't have enough research on it, do we? No, we don't. And But the more we talk about it, the more we raise the flag, the more we uh, hold accountability to the people who are caring for us to look at that. Don't let them just treat you as a number, you know, a, a breast cancer number, a colon cancer number, a lung cancer number, have them start asking them questions. Um, you'll find, you'll find people listen. Um, my radiation oncologist, you know, he's actually leaving the U very soon to go to Cleveland clinic. He gave me a cell number because he wants, he wants to stay in contact so we can build on this awareness and the track, track things like, you know, what's causing this in our men and women who, um, you know, serve any length of time and are going to get taken out by something they didn't see. Well, and there's such an emphasis on these toxic exposures that uh, we subject our military to. Uh, 
you know, not with any ill will, but just it's the nature of the the profession. Um, and fortunately, just recently, right, the uh, Congress has passed and the president has signed the PACT Act uh, of 2022 to deal with the promises to address comprehensive toxics. Um, that's what we're talking about. You know, while this is primarily focused on particulates from burn pits uh, and different types of pollutants like that, uh, we see this uh, toxic exposure just not only overseas, but there's all kinds of exposures here on the home bases. And in, in, in over a 32-year career, you certainly were exposed to that. As, as you think about uh, your roles of your leadership roles from first sergeant and chief master sergeant, um, do you feel that you you had enough maybe emphasis on men's health during those times? Or now with hindsight, you'd say, boy, I'd be telling my other first sergeants uh, coming up, they ought to pay, pay a little more attention to the broad spectrum of men's health. Uh, no, we didn't do enough. We did not, definitely did not do enough. I mean, let's face it, um, and, and the service, all, all the branches have gotten better. Um, you know, like I, we said earlier, you know, you, you get an injury or you, you're sick. What did you do? Heck, I'm not going to look like that guy. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hold my buddy short. Short. I'm going to suck it up and you don't say anything. You know, mental health, you know, there's a reason why we have such a high suicide rate amongst military members is because it's a sign of weakness. Um, so no, we didn't do a good job. We are getting better at the end of my career, acknowledging things and, and saying, hey, it's okay to say you're hurt. Let's get you fixed so we can get you back in the game. Um, one of the first phone calls I made was actually to a command chief I know very well. And then I'm uh, actually two chiefs I know very well and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm just, I want you to hear for me that I have male breast cancer. And the reason why I'm telling you is your next drill or your next roll call, you have your first sergeants and your chiefs up there and you say, Hey, listen, you know, y'all, whether you remember chief Horvath or not, he has male breast cancer. He wants you to know you need to start checking your chest. You need to start checking your lymph nodes, make sure you're doing your testicular checks. Um, and if something's not right, go get it looked at. Be it, it takes a real man to, to say, hey, I'm weak and I need to get something checked. Good good words of wisdom, uh, Tim. Uh, we appreciate uh, that uh, Chief Master Sergeant Tim Horvath retired after 32 years, can find time in his busy schedule um, to talk to Veterans Radio about this issue and about uh, focusing on men's health. Tim, really appreciate the time you gave us today. Well, thank you, sir. And uh, hopefully we covered everything you need. And if we need to do follow-up, let me know. And, I, again, this is about awareness of our own bodies and taking care of our one temple. And I want to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today. I am Jim Fossone. It's been a pleasure to be your host. I'm a veterans disability lawyer at Legal Help for Veterans. And you can reach us at 800 800- Six nine three four eight zero zero, or legalhelpforveterans.com on the web. You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook and listen to its podcasts and internet radio shows by going to veteransradio.net. And until next time, you are dismissed.
If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our national sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, nvbdc.org, VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan. VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423 in Ann Arbor. And the American Legion Press Corn Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. We appreciate all your support. You can go to veteransradio.net, click on the sponsor level, and continue to support keeping Veterans Radio on the air. And until next time... You are dismissed. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.